Happy Sabbath. Before we get going with the sermon, we uh, voted a couple people in this morning. Welcome to our church family. We have a couple others to welcome to our church family today. And there's John and Laura. If you'd like to come up front, we'll, uh, we'll put you right on the spot. You want to come up here, Trinity? All right. You know, sometimes when, uh, when we want to do membership transfers, uh, particularly in Europe and so forth, it's a little difficult to, uh, to get their transfers to come across. And last Jan- this January, this past January, we actually put in for a membership transfer and we waited, and we waited, and we figured nearly a year is enough. What do you think? Yeah. But the procedure for uh, membership transfer when, when you don't get one from the local congregation is to do a profession of faith. So this morning, that's what we're actually going to do. And it'll be uh, short, sweet, and painless. What do you think about that? That's good. John and Laura, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? And do you desire to live your life in a saving relationship with him? Do you accept the teachings of the Bible as expressed in our fundamental beliefs? Do you pledge by God's grace to live your life in harmony with these teachings? That's an expression of your belief in Jesus. Is it your desire to be accepted into the fellowship of the Methodist to Seventh-day Adventist Church and to support the church in its mission as a faithful steward of your spiritual gifts, systematic benevolence, and life of service? Amen. Well, I would uh, entertain a motion to accept them into the fellowship of this church. Do we have? We have a motion. Do we have a second? All right, all in favor, raise your hands. Praise the Lord. Welcome finally to our family. Thank you for all that you've already done. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. All right. Oops, wrong one. That's fine. Let's see. Pick this up. If you'd like to open up your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, primarily, chapter 2. I know that isn't where the scripture reading came from, it came from Ephesians, but primarily we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. We're here to celebrate, as was mentioned during the announcement time, where this is the time of year that, that most of the world is celebrating the birth of Christ. But we also have an opportunity today to celebrate not just his birth, but his life and his death and his resurrection, right? In fact, I I would actually posit that the latter of which is more important than the former. Isn't that true? They all go hand in hand. They all go hand in hand. That's absolutely true, right? Because he certainly couldn't live and die and resurrect again had he never been born. That, that's a, you know, they're, they're, one has to come before the other. Isn't that right? 
<coughs> as I was sitting up front and I was pondering, sharing this this morning, my, my mind actually went back to, to Genesis. And to think about Adam and Eve, and they've just sinned, and they've hidden from God, and God has come after them. And we understand that what actually happened was, was a sacrifice took place. Probably a lamb of, of the very couple that Adam himself had actually named. Right? God clothes them with the skins of that sacrifice afterwards. So that every time they're, they're dressed, they're, they're, they're thinking that they're actually wearing the flesh of the innocent lamb that had been slain because of their sin. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? But God had said something else to them. Not only had they sacrificed, but God had promised that the Messiah would come. Isn't that interesting? The Messiah would come, right? And, and that the Messiah would would be born as a human being. There, there are things we actually, we, we take these things for granted, in a sense. That, you know, we've accepted them by faith, but, but we don't really conceive of what a mind-boggling mystery, in a sense. The, the, that very idea must have been, even to Adam and Eve. I mean, they look forward to it. I mean, God had said it would happen, and he promised it, and they, and they looked forward to it with rapt anticipation. They, they wanted to go back into the Garden of Eden, and, and probably with the birth of their very first son, Cain, they, they anticipated, is this the one? Time went on, they had another. Is this the one? Which, which one? Then we know the tragedy that would later happen. And with each child, for generations and generations, even Sarah, having the son of promise, is, is he going to be the one? We take some of these things for granted. We're, we're just kind of like, yeah, 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 God became a child. Really? Think about that. The creator who spoke things into existence, let there be land, let there be sea, let there be stars, let there be the sun, the moon, let there be animals, let there be plants, let there, right? I mean, the guy who spoke that stuff into existence, himself becoming one of his own creation. Do you create things? Has anyone ever created anything? Truth is, no, we've simply taken what already exists and manipulated it into something. We've never created something from, from nothing. And that God who could create something from nothing became the something he created is mind-boggling. It should be mind-boggling to us. And it gets bigger. Look what it says in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, 
and the name, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 600 years before Jesus is ever even born, Isaiah pens these words. With rapt anticipation, they should have been looking for that. And not just this, but other prophecies, right? They knew where and when, approximately, Jesus would be born, and you would have thought they'd have been sitting there on pins and needles. But they weren't, were they? Many years later, I believe Paul, there's argument about whether or not he did, would write these words. From whence we get the title today. But I want us to look at this. Look what it's saying. In as much. Now, the Greek word there, epi, found a lot of times in Scripture. It, it simply means because, or as much as, or since, depending on, on the situation and circumstance, the context in which it's being translated. In this particular context, the translators decided to choose these words, in as much. Why did they choose those words? Because of the words that follow. In as much then the ch as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Isn't that amazing? Why did God have to become like one of us? I mean, we've danced around this other question, and that's this. How did God become one of us? Right? How? Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And the reason why I don't know is because the Bible doesn't really tell us. It doesn't tell us how God, the creator of things, was able to inhabit flesh and blood. It simply tells us it happened. I guess someday, maybe, we'll be smart enough to wrap our brains around or he'll convey to us somewhere up there in eternity the exact how, maybe we never will be able to figure it out. I don't know. But although he doesn't tell us how, he does tell us why. In fact, the implication of this verse right here is that it was absolutely necessary for God to how. It was absolutely necessary for God to why? It was, it was necessary for God to be made like us. It had to happen. In other words, God would not be able to save us unless he first became one of us. Why is that? The Bible doesn't really even tell us the answer to that. It just alludes and, and, and makes it known that God had to 
be one of us in flesh and blood. He had to be partakers of flesh and blood, just like us. He had to share in the same in order for him to be able to save us. Paul kind of enlarges, or excuse me, John kind of enlarges on this idea that the word was made what? It was made flesh, and, and, and he dwelt among us. And then he says this, we beheld his glory. Jesus didn't just become a man. He was God as man. Fully human and fully divine. The thing mythology is made up. Why? Because I think there's somebody who had a clue that that was going to happen, i.e. the adversary, and thus he sowed that idea into mythology throughout the years from Babylon, from the Tower of Babel on, so that it might seem as if, well, we've heard this story before. These ideas of a God becoming man or a man being God. He knew, at least, if not before, from the very promise that was made there in the garden, out just outside the Garden of Eden. How was able to for God was able to become man? We don't know. Why? Not we don't fully understand. How could God be man and man God in one person, one hundred percent each? That kind of makes two hundred percent. And yet, John says, as a matter of fact. As he was made flesh, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians, Paul alludes to this very same thing by saying he is the image, the very embodiment, in a sense, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Surely there were lots of other people born before Jesus. How is it that he's the firstborn? He's the firstborn from the dead. Resurrected in our likeness. Having not sinned. Let's look back there. Paul says this in Timothy. He says, without controversy. Anybody want to take issue with him about that? Without controversy, great is the what? The mystery of godliness. God hasn't told us exactly how, and he really hasn't given us all the details as to why. Those things remain a mystery. And without a controversy, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up 
into glory. Going back there to Hebrews chapter 2, let's start a couple verses sooner. It says this, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made, what? Like his brethren. What does that thing mean? Remember, we read those words, in as much, and now it says, in all things. In all things. Does it just mean that he took on our DNA? He had ten fingers and ten toes and a nose and two eyes. Is that what it means? Or is there more to it than that? In all things, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. But Paul tells us in all things he had to be made like his brethren, and then he gives us the reason why. Why must he be made like us? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, that he might make, there's that big word, propitiation. That means that he might save us, that he might be the sacrifice that manages to save us for the sins of his people. Great is the mystery of godliness. In all things he had to be made like us. What does it mean in all things? That he might be a merciful and high priest. Paul tells us that God chose priests from among men for a reason. Do you know why he chose priests from among men? Why did he choose pastors? from among men. You know why? might surprise you. You might meet some pastors or even some priests who don't seem to convey this idea. But Why? Here's what Paul says. Because they are subject to infirmities. Know what that means? Newsflash, your pastor has weaknesses. You laughing at Yaku? You get it? The priests were subject to infirmities. What does that mean? They sinned. They had faults. They had propensities, weaknesses, right? And then he goes on. God chose priests from among men because they themselves were subject to infirmities, that they might have compassion. upon those that sin. Isn't it interesting? Making, being subject to infirmities yourself sort of makes you um, a little more compassionate towards the weaknesses of others. Even if their weaknesses aren't necessarily your weaknesses. Isn't that true? And I hope my weaknesses aren't yours. That's why. And in there, we get an insight, too, in back towards Christ. See that in all things he had to be made like us, that he might be merciful. He had, in a sense, to be subject to the same types of things that we were. Paul tells us in Romans, Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past Finding out. Verse 14, back there in Hebrews chapter 2, look what it says. 
Inasmuch then as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might what? Destroy. There's one of the reasons why God had to become one of us so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And who's that? The devil. It was necessary for God to be made just like us so that he might die for us that through that death he might make, what was that big word we read a few minutes ago? Propitiation. He might be able to redeem us. Without his being made like us, he wouldn't have been able to redeem us. That should tell you that there's something more involved than just forgiveness than just pardon. Do you understand that? I mean, God, sitting up there, high and mighty, being our creator, he should be able to say, just tell me you're sorry, and it's all over. Isn't that true? No, there was something far greater, far more involved than that, obviously. Because God didn't just sit up there and say, hey, confess your sins, I'll forgive you your sins. God said, no, sin is so egregious, so horrible, so terrible, such an offense that it actually requires death. To make reconciliation. And it required God himself becoming one of us and then dying. When Jesus came into the world, we see this cute little babe in a manger who's on a mission. A death mission. Freely chosen. A suicide mission in that sense. with a planned outcome, reconciliation of Adam and Eve and their descendants back into fellowship with their creator. God had to become one of us and die as one of us that through that death he might be able to destroy the power of death. Amen? Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lives, what? Subject to bondage. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in bondage? Bondage to sin? If you're saying no, I pray it happens to you. 
Because if you're saying you haven't been in bondage to sin, then that means that you've never really recognized what sin is. And you've never really recognized your relationship to that thing. In fact, you've never really recognized who's actually controlling who. Right? <coughs> you have any habits? It's a funny thing about habits. You never really recognize who's in control in any habit, really until you try to stop. And when you try to stop, suddenly you begin realizing that you weren't the person in control after all. It can be something really bad where everybody should recognize, you know, I've got an addiction to alcohol or some, some demonic substance, right? Or it could be something as simple as, I'm just going to watch less television. And you try and stop that thing, and all of a sudden, you begin realizing just who's in charge. And if you've never wrestled to the place where you realize that not only is that thing in charge, but I can't stop it. then you begin realizing just how weak you are. And if you're one of those people who's able to give up anything at any time at any place, I feel sorry for you too. Because you probably don't need God. But when you come to that place where you're really wrestling with sin, and you realize that you can't overcome, that's where God wants you, actually, because you realize that you need strength from outside of yourself. And God is an ever-present help in trouble. It was necessary that he became like us, that he might be able to free us from that bondage in which we are subject, and that he might release us. Now I ask the other side of that coin, and that is this, if you're in bondage, are you simply in bondage, in the bondage of despair? Or have you been released from your chains? Are you worried that your chains cannot be broken? Or have you experienced the freedom of him who sets off the chains and opens up the cells. And if you've re experienced that freedom that only Christ can give, are you in new chains? Because sometimes that happens, right? God frees us from something, and then later we realize we're in bondage to something else. And then, when we're in bondage to something else, we begin to despair, as if he had never set us free before. What sin 
is greater than God. And do you not realize that you hold the key? That key is in four letters. H E L P. help God sent his son to die to become one of us and to die for us that he might release us from those chains not keep us in them amen God is stronger than any bondage verse 17 Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, that he might make propitiation for us. Why? Because he needed to free us and release us, and only he could do it. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was, what's that say? In all things, not just made like us, but what? Tempted like us. What does that mean? Do you think that you'll be able to stand before God and say, you know what, God? I was tempted with this thing that you just don't understand. That temptation, that propensity towards sin was just completely overwhelming. That sin was impossible to overcome. You just can't relate. And if that's true, I guess God will bow and say, I'm sorry. I just don't understand. Or might God say, I do understand. In fact, just as you are tempted, however deep, however broad, to whatever extent, I was more. Not just your more. The more of the most of anyone. Have you ever been tempted to lie? We all have. You ever been tempted to murder? Don't raise your hand. And Jesus, as much as the one who had the greatest temptation. In fact, Jesus was tempted with things that you and I have never been tempted with. Because he had the option of using his godliness to escape temptation. And he never did. 
of using his godliness to escape from the flesh and its propensity. And he never did. He was, as the Bible says, in all ways tempted, in all points tempted, as we are, and yet he was without sin. How is that possible? Because in all things, (coughs) he surrendered in faith to the Father. These are the things that we've gathered here today to celebrate. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. How Jesus became one of us, I don't know. Why? I don't fully know. Except for those results of why that the Bible tells us. Jesus had to be one of us. He had to be made just like us. He had to be tempted in all ways. He had to take on all of our propensities. Those who argue that Jesus didn't, well, listen deeply to their excuses, and you'll find out why they argue such things. That he might be able to redeem us. And then, after all of that why, he looks at us, And he says, I freely offer you the gift of my temptation and the victory that I gained in place of your weakness. I offer you that. And more than just offering you forgiveness, I also offer you my strength. I offer you my victory. Will you take hold, Jesus says, of my strength, that you too might be victorious, a champion through my strength over sin in your life, that you might experience the freedom from the bondage of the chains of sin and that you might glory in your redemption not just in a future heavenly reward but now. Isn't that beautiful? Let's look at a couple more verses right here. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that he might that we might live through him herein is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins thus today the very reason why we've gathered here isn't just to celebrate the mystery of how God was born as a human being. We've gathered here today to celebrate the mystery of godliness that unbelievable and an amazing story. And to accept by faith 
that Jesus, having been made like us and be tempted just like us, freely offers us his redemption and his grace. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death and we believe that he's coming again to make his promise a reality for eternity. We're going to take a few minutes to divide into the first part of our service.